We have a special opportunity today to hear from somebody who uh, I'm so grateful is part of my life. Uh, I, I believe that as a church, what's so important for us is not to be isolated as a body of believers. It's important for us to participate with the greater body of Christ, both here in our city and then to have special relationships with people who come and speak into our body. They speak into the life of one chapel, that we're, we're not just myopic in our view of our own experience, but we are, our, our view is broadened by the experiences of others. In fact, I think that is really a fundamental idea in each of our lives. Becoming a disciple means you let somebody else in. You let another perspective in besides your own. It's, uh, it's really part of growing and maturing in Christ. And if I want you to do that, then I need to do that as your pastor. And so it's a privilege today for us to have Tom and Jan Lane who are here. There's um, really in the structure of our church, I have five overseers. And they are people that I have willingly submitted to and asked to be in authority in my life where they can peer into the life of our church as well as my family, my relationship with my wife, my kids, what's going on around me. They can see into it. They can give feedback and input and direction. And I willingly open that up to them. It's a healthy practice that we all need to have, somebody that speaks into our life, that knows us deeply. And I'm so grateful. Uh, I met Tom several years ago in a very crucial moment in my life, in my journey. And he was there and began to invest. And uh, I'm so grateful for him. He's the senior executive, or sorry, executive senior pastor uh, of Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. And the senior pastor there is Pastor Robert Morris. And he works with him. And that's a fantastic church that was really a blessing to our church. Many of you don't know this, but that church uh, really encouraged us by sending us a bunch of money to get started when we had nothing. And we were so, I was so grateful the day I got the call from them. I just sat on the side of the road and bawled my eyes out because uh, they gave us all this money. And it's just such a generous place, such a place of community, such a place where healthy relationships exist. And, and so I, I've asked each of those overseers to come and speak to us from time to time. They're really part of our family. And some of you I know haven't ever met Tom or Jan, uh, but uh, because you're just new here in the last uh, few months, but I want you to embrace them as family members, as extended family coming to share with us wisdom, advice, encouragement. And uh, so I want you to give a huge One Chapel welcome to Pastor Tom Lane. Thank you and good morning. Um, I want to ask my beautiful wife, Stand up so all of you in back can see her. This is my wife, Jan. We are Tom and Jan, otherwise known as Beauty and the Beast. I, uh, I, I'm so thankful to be here today. I'm thankful for what God has, has done. Um, seems like five years has gone by pretty fast. But uh, five years ago, I knew Ross and Amy, but... Ross more than Amy, uh, just by reputation, uh, and then God sovereignly put our life together. I, 
I think uh, I think he did that for a real special thing. You know, uh, wealth I think is measured way more by way more than the amount of money we have. It's it's measured by the things that, the experiences we have, our intellect. It's measured by uh, the spiritual blessings of our life, and it's measured by relationships. And money just facilitates that. And uh, I'm thankful for the relationship that we have with you two and, and then beyond that with all of you. So I'm, uh, I'm really glad to be, uh, be here and be ministering to you. If you brought your Bibles today, <clears throat> turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Put a, put a mark there. And then go over to Romans chapter 13. And we're, I'm going to start there. I want to talk to you this morning on a subject that I think is very important for the body of Christ. I think it's very important for, for church as a whole, the organization part, and individually for us who make up the corporate entity of the church. I want to talk to you about a, a, the subject of authority. Now, uh, don't tune me out just yet, because I, I know that carries with it some, some baggage. That term carries with it some baggage. And so I want to say to you right, right off, if you've, been, if you've been abused by authority, if you've been controlled by authority, maybe you're there now and you feel like the, the person, that my boss at work, or the person that, uh, that in some oversight capacity, some authority capacity, is not treating me right and is just not right, can you just set that aside a minute and listen to what I think God intends as a covering and blessing for our life. And, um, and then we'll, we'll pray and allow the Holy Spirit to minister as we conclude this. Okay, so if you're in Romans chapter 13, we're going to read verse 1 to start. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. I just want to pause a minute. Because you might say, well, I don't know, my, my boss is not good, my, my coach is not good, my, uh, no authority except from God. As Christians, what we believe is that God is actively at work in our life and that he is, no matter what circumstance we, in, we, we are in, he is there and actively involved. And so from that perspective, and Paul wrote to the Romans, there's no authority except that, that that is established by God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by him. Now, slide over to 2 Peter and a, a companion text here. Again, talking about the issue of authority. Uh, 2 Peter verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honoring honor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, 
honor the emperor. Now, let me just lay a foundation for what I want to share with you. I believe God created at least three institutions that, that impact us. The family is one, and there's a structure of authority within the family. Government is a second piece, and there's a structure of authority within government, and then the church, and there's a structure of authority in the church. Now, I think when I draw these things, I think these three entities are like the rings of the, the Olympic rings, you know. They're overlapped, and they have a little piece of overlap in any one of those areas, but basically, there's authority in the family, there's authority in the government, and there's authority in the church. And if I added a fourth one, I'd say, and there's a, an authority in your workplace in, in, with your, your boss and the, the place that you, uh, you receive income. Now, here's why I say that. Because I don't think any institution has all authority in our life, not even the church. I believe that the... the these institute, we are sovereign before God. We're responsible before Him, but He established these institutions as a covering mechanism for our life. And the way that we relate to those positions of authority ultimately determine God's work and blessing in our life. Now, this is a strong statement, but I fully believe that this is biblically accurate. God cannot and will not use any person who is independent or rebellious. Now, I know we're, we're Texans, right? And we, we place a high commodity on the fact that we're, we're independent. We do our own stuff. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. Well, you're Texans, but if you're believers, can I tell you you're in a different kingdom than the kingdom of Texas? You're in God's kingdom, and in God's kingdom, independence and rebellion are not commodities that are thought highly of. In fact, you might remember when Saul was king, Samuel had given him authority, given him a responsibility, a word from God to go down and kill the Amalekites and to, to wipe them utterly out. And he didn't quite follow the orders as he should have. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul comes back. There's the, there's the bleeding of the sheep in, in Samuel's ears. And God has spoken to him and said, you go, you go confront Saul because he's disobeyed. And listen to what Samuel said. He, he confronts him. And, and Saul says, well, I, I did what you said. I, I tried my best, but the people... Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of God? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of div divination and presumption is, the, is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. I just say this to say God cannot and will not use people who are independent and rebellious. Now, I don't know what you're, how you got introduced into the whole idea of authority. Maybe your parents said, there is no authority over you. you you're your own person. You, you be your own person. But that's not the way I grew up. Let me just tell you a quick story. When I was in eighth grade, 
uh, I was a good kid. Uh, I was, I wasn't a, I hadn't given my heart to the Lord, but I just was a good kid. I didn't get in trouble. I got good grades. I wasn't a, I, I didn't, I just wasn't a troublemaker. But one day I, I go to school, and uh, when I walk into the school, the principal catches me at the door and says, uh, Tom, come over here. Uh, you, I'm going to send you home, and you can't come back to school until you get your hair cut. Your hair is not according to our dress code. Now, just to put it in context, my hair, it, at the time, I could take this piece of my hair right here, and I could pull it around and touch this part of my ear. It wasn't hanging on my shoulders. It wasn't even on my collar. And it didn't meet the school dress code, so he sent me home. And on the way home, I lived about three blocks from home, and so on the way home, I was just having all kinds of conversations. about this is right, and I can't believe he's doing that. And this, It's just not fair. It's not fair. I walk into the house. My mom says, what are you doing home? And I said, I got kicked out of school. The principal said I have to come home and, and cut my hair, and I can't come back until I cut my hair, and I'm not going back there. I'm, I'm not going back there. They can't do that to me. It's not right what they've done. My mom said, come on, come on, get in the car. I'm going to take you. So all the way to the barber, I'm telling her, just don't go in with me. Give me the money. I'll go in. I'll tell them what to do. I'll get my hair cut. Okay, I'll get my hair cut. So I sit down in the barber chair, and I say, okay, I, I got to get a haircut. Uh, but here's the goal. Take as little off as you possibly can. In fact, I'm going to be really happy if it doesn't even look like I got a haircut. So the guy did a great job. I give him the money, and it doesn't look like I got a haircut. So the next morning, I, I'm walking into school, and the uh, principal says, uh, Tom, come, come here. I thought I told you to get your haircut. I said, I did. He said, no, no, no. It still doesn't meet our dress code. I need you to go home, and you come back when you get your haircut, and it, it fits into our dress code. So second day, I'm walking home, and I'm saying, no, I'm really never, never, ever, ever, ever going back to the school, and I walk into the house, I'm just fuming. My mom says, what are you doing home? And I said, Mom, he kicked me out again. I can't go back. This is ridiculous. I want to change schools. I want to do something different. He, I'm not going back to that school. And she said, well, your dad will talk to you. So when my dad gets home, he said, what's up? And I said, Dad, this is ridiculous. This principal, he's just trying to make an example of me, and it's not right. I'm, I don't cause him trouble in classes or at school. I get good grades. I'm a leader in the school, and he's just making an issue. It's not right. I'm never going back there. And he said, get in the car. So he took me to the barber, and this time he walked in with me and stood as the barber cut my hair. And he goes, ah, just a little more right there, just a little more. We want a good old American shave you know. So I got back into school the next day. And, you see, unlike what I've seen in, in news reports in our generation, news reports that, that says, well, you know, if you don't, if you put my kid in detention, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sue the school board. You, you tell my kids they can't wear a certain clothing style, I'm gonna sue you. I'm gonna see if I can get the teacher. It, my dad said, "Here's, I, as a parent, we have four kids, all of them married. But now we have nine grandkids. And when my kids were growing up, I know what it's like 
as a parent to feel like this teacher has taken advantage of my kid. This, this is an unjust rule that I don't think applies. And the, the, the offense that I feel as a parent to want to step in and, and fight my kid's battles. But what my dad taught me in this is there's something more than this. There's an authority issue that needs to be understood in your lifetime, an authority, an authority issue that says if it's not illegal, if it's not immoral or unethical, whether you agree with it or not, do it. So I got my hair cut and I got back in school. Now, Experience it isn't always the right teacher in terms of biblical guidelines, but what does the Bible say about this? Well, we started by saying all authorities established by God submit to the authorities that God's put, put in our life, but here's three things I want you to know about authority today, and I believe it's critical for God's work and blessing in your individual life and in the life of the church. Here, here it is. First, God brings correction to us through the authorities in our life. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That means, that's a word, means disciplines or corrects. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Here's the reality. God, because he loves us as a loving father, he is going to make sure that we are corrected and we are directed on the right path of our life. Well, I've never seen God with my own eyes. I, I've never felt him touch my shoulder. And, and yet, I know God is present in my life, and I know that he works, and one of the ways that he works is through the authorities that he's put in my life. Romans 13, we read uh, in verse 2, I want to just repeat, therefore, who, what, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Here's the biblical logic. If we cannot obey people who we see, we won't or can't obey God whom we haven't seen. So what God says is, Tom, I put authority in your life. I'm, I'm putting authority in your life, and I expect you to come under that authority. And when that authority corrects you, it's an extension of my hand through them into your life. So, think of it this way. If he has established all authority, and if no authority exists without his approval, and if that authority is wrong or acting inappropriately toward us, he cannot or he will not remove or change, not he cannot, can he not. If that authority is acting inappropriately, can he not remove or change the heart of that authority? The answer is yes. So I look through the authority to God, and I trust him to be at work on my behalf. Now, here's, a, here's an experience I had. I, I love God. I want to serve him. I want to obey him. I'm, I, I understand at some level this work, and... Uh, when I was at Trinity one year, we bought a, uh, 
a Quonset hut building that we were going to use for our um, youth building. We were going to remodel. It was a skating rink and we were remodeling. So at the beginning of the year, this wasn't even on our radar screen. It came up. We bought it. We brought a guy on our staff to actually head up the remodeling and I oversaw him. Well, as the remodeling went along, it took longer than we expected and cost more money than we thought it would. And so somewhere in the process, Jimmy, Jimmy Evans, who is the senior pastor and was my boss, he said, hey, Tom, we need to wrap this thing up. It's costing more money. It's taking too long. I said, gotcha. We'll, I'll take care of it. So the, the same week that we had this conversation, the guy that's overseeing the construction comes to me and he said, um, I just met with the city inspector and they're not going to give us a permit for the kitchen in this building unless we have a grease trap. And I said, well, how much is a grease trap? He said, $25,000. I went, oh, okay, do that and no more. So Jimmy drives by the, the Quonset Hut building, and there's a backhoe digging up the, the sewer line to put in this backhoe, uh, put in the, uh, the grease trap. And so he calls me on the phone, and he says, hey, what's going on? So I explained to him, uh, the grease trap, the city wouldn't. He says, okay, Tom, but no more. I said, got it. The next week, I meet with the construction guy, and he says, well, hey, uh, grease trap's in. We're doing good, but we're putting the tables in the cafeteria area, cafe area, and there's no backing in the walls. And if we put the tables up in just a little bit of time, they're going to pull away from the wall. And I said, well, what's the solution? He said, well, we need to, need to put wainscoting, you know, paneling all around these walls about halfway up. And uh, he gives me a price, and I went, oh. Okay, do that and no more. So, I mean, within a day or two of this conversation, we have an elders meeting, and, and Jimmy comes into the elders meeting. He says, hey, fellas, I think we have a problem. And he was mentioning this guy that was doing, that was overseeing the construction. He said, he, he just doesn't get it. We told him to stop, and he's not stopping, and I think we need to fire him. And I, I raised my hand because I was one of the elders. I raised my hand, and I said, I don't think your problem is with him. I think it's with me. I, you know, he's asked me for everything, every, everything that he's done, and I've approved it. About that time, one of my elder friends, non-staff guys, leans over to me and says, Hey, Tom, I got an idea. Bring it to a close. I said, Shut up. <laughs> I know what it's supposed to be done. And, and I had this attitude. And the attitude was, look. Every decision I'm making, I understand what's been said, but every decision I'm making, I'm making. And I think if you were here every day doing the, overseeing the stuff, you'd make the same decisions I make. So in that meeting, the attention turns toward me, and I, I, I'm quiet, but, you know, and so I come away with the mandate, no more. I got it. And I walk out there with a little bit of attitude, like, can't believe and I, I think to myself you know what I think I'm gonna quit they can just have this thing if they think they can do a better job than me have at it then I think no no I'm not gonna quit I'm gonna stay right here and I'm gonna gather a few people around me and I'm gonna tell them my side of the story and we'll just see it's kind of like we'll see who's got the bigger fire pan here and, and I'm thinking about this, and God interrupts my thoughts and says, are you going to let me correct you? And I went, Lord, it is Tom, thy 
humble, obedient servant. And he said, are you going to let me correct you? And I said, well, what, what Lord? Uh, yes, I'll do anything you say. And he said, I've been trying to correct you, and you won't pay attention. You, you have not followed the direction of those in oversight. You've been rebellious, and this little seed of rebellion is going to grow into a big tree if you don't take care of it right now. I'm trying to correct you. And I said, yes, sir. I... I I, I accept the responsibility, and I'm sorry. In, in 22 years on staff at Trinity, there was only one year that I did not get a highly approved, highly decorated, highly acknowledged merit increase. It was that year. It made an indelible impression upon me when God said, if you don't let me correct you, I cannot use you for the next step I have in your life. He uses authority to bring correction into our life. Number two, God protects us through our submission and accountability. Now, uh, I don't believe that any authority, godly authority, should be controlling or manipulative or dominant. It, it ought to be a, a mutual humility that takes place that that simply says, I care about you, I'm interested in you. And I believe there's two kinds of authority. There's positional authority that comes because someone is in a position of authority over me. And in those situations, I at times, I, I measure that like, well, I don't know if I think you're experienced enough, you're knowledgeable enough, I don't, I don't know. And so it, it begins to work on me to, to be justified to resist positional authority. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter. All authority, positional or relational, is established by God. So maybe you think if you're a young person here still living with your parents, you think, my parents are stupid. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They've never lived life like I, I've lived. And, and God's saying to you today, I put you in the home with your parents. They are the authority that I put over your life. And there's a positional authority that is worthy of respect. Maybe you look at your boss today and you say, well, my boss didn't know anything. I know more than him. I, if it wasn't for me, your boss has a position of authority. And God is saying, will you honor and respect and submit to that person who has positional authority over your life. Or it's relational authority. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 says this, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Uh, that's not just elders of the church. That's to those that are older than you. And all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. When Jan and I were first married, first year we were married, we were living in an apartment, and I had a friend who had been in Vietnam, and he had a, an army, uh, a Willys surplus Jeep. It was about the coolest thing I've ever seen. He, when he was in Vietnam, he parked it, set for two years, and when he came back from Vietnam, he said, I think I'm going to sell my Jeep. And I said, really, how much do you want? 
He said, 125 bucks. Now, this was 1971 or two, but I mean, 125 bucks. I said, I'll buy it. And I said, well, wait, I need to check and make sure Jan's okay. So I went home, put my best sale job on Jan, and reluctantly she agreed. But here, here was my plan. I could see stripping the, the, the peeling paint off of this Jeep, pulling the, the flathead V, you know, four-cylinder out and put it in a 327 VA, you know, uh, cherry, ca candy apple red paint, you know, with some flakes in it. I mean, this baby was, and then on some nice weekend, we'd be tooling, and I could get, you know, I could, I could get scratching three gear. I mean, this is what I was thinking. So she says, okay, okay. So I, I approach my dad and say, Dad, I, I, I'm going to buy a Jeep. Can I, can I, uh, work on it in your garage over the winter. And he said, yeah, go ahead. So we have dinner with my parents, and on a night, I'm going to go with my friend to get his Jeep. And we go and get it. Well, he can't find the key. So we get over there. We, can't, we don't know if it'll start or not. It doesn't bother me at all. It's no big deal. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. So we tow it to my parents' house and push it into the garage. We get it all in the garage, and Jan comes out to take a look at our new purchase. And, I mean, she doesn't even come and even walk around it. She takes two steps down. <laughs> she's all, she heads off back in the house. And in a few minutes, my dad comes out. And I think, oh, good. At least somebody will understand. So my dad walks out. And he's got his hand in his pocket. And he's doing this. And he walks around. And as he's walking, I'm saying, Dad, isn't this the coolest thing? I mean, it's a, it's a surplus Willie's Jeep. And I'm going to pull this engine out. I'm going to put a 327 in. Mag wheels. I'm going to repaint it. I, I know there's some flaky stuff. The paint's kind of flaking off. And uh, there's, no, there's no covering on the seats. But that's no big deal. I mean, I'll, I'll put, I'm going to put all new seats in this thing. Dad, it is going to be awesome. And he's just mm -hmm, kicking the tire and stuff like that. And... He said, um, so, he said, Tom, uh, here's the deal. You, you and Jan are married. You're, you're on your own. He said, uh, this isn't my decision. I told you you could use my garage, and if you want to use it, you can. But I just think you ought to consider. Your wife is in the house crying, and this piece of junk is going to cost you more money than you could ever imagine to do anything close to what you are thinking about. But if you still have it in your mind to go ahead and do this, you can use my garage, but I'm going to think you're stupid. <laughs> and he turns around and walks in the house. Now, he's my dad, but I'm married, so... I'm not under his positional authority anymore. I'm under his relational authority. And I'm thinking, I thought my wife just didn't have the vision for it. But once, once I had it all fixed up. <laughs> but now my dad comes out. And so I got my wife crying and my dad, who's going to think I'm stupid. And I think, Maybe I better not do this. Why? God protects us when we are willing to submit to the authorities that he's put in our life. Maybe it's a positional authority that God is asking you to submit to, and you go, well, I, 
I just don't understand. I think we ought to do so-and-so. I think I could do so-and-so, and you need to let me do so-and-so. And they say, no, it's not. I don't want you to do that. Or maybe it's a relational authority. God protects us through our willingness to submit. Here's the last thing. There's a difference between submission and honor. In Exodus chapter 20, God spoke these words in verse 12. He says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Honor is something that is accorded to a person in a position of authority regardless of your opinion of them, your esteem of their talents or their experience. It's just your parents are your parents. That's part of the, the process. So I'm going to honor them in, in, the, in the process. Uh, honor goes to your boss to your coach, to your teacher, to your pastor. It's, it's something we extend to someone in that position of authority. Uh, to our boss, Ephesians 6, 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. We, we extend ourselves to those people who are in authority. Submission, on the other hand, is a decision to yield our opinion, our wish, our perspective, our desire on any given situation or circumstance. Now, this is the way I, I believe. I believe that as a person under authority, I am, uh, the best thing I can do is fully express the way that I feel about something, but when I've fully expressed it to the point that I think they've understood it, if they don't agree, I stop, I stop, I stop extending. I stop making it happen because if I keep pushing, I, I move beyond contributing something uh, to a point of resisting, so I submit. So here's a, here, here's a, a story, and I'm going to finish. I know the next service doesn't start until 5.30, so we got lots of time. I, I thought you built that in so this, this service could have extra, extra. Yeah. Well, okay, I'll just finish with this story. So um, at Trinity, we had 30 elders. And uh, our elders, we did everything by unanimity. So it just took one elder to ball the whole process up. One guy to say, I don't think that's what God's saying. I don't want to do that. I don't. And it would stop the whole process. So it took a, a humility of response and submission to each other to make the, the deal work. So one day I'm at a, I'm at a conference in, in Florida, and I get a call from Jimmy, and he's telling me that a daughter of one of our elders uh, who was engaged to be married is pregnant. And he was, this guy was on our staff, and so he's saying, the guy came in, and the girl's been away at school. She's not living at home, and uh, but she's she's pregnant. And so um, he's willing to resign as an elder, resign as a staff person. He's saying, "You tell me what." He's submitting to us, and he said, "So I'm I'm calling a special elders meeting. What do you think?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. Let me pray about it, and I'll let you know in the morning." He said, "Okay, let me know in the morning because we're going to meet tomorrow." So in the morning, I, I called him, and I said, well, Jimmy, I prayed about it, and I, I don't think that he should, he should give up his staff position. But I do think that he should, he should take a, a leave of absence 
from the elders and deal with some issues in his family. And he, he said, okay, I'll represent you to the elders. So they have the meeting. The next morning he calls me back and he said, well, Tom, I, I, I want to tell you what the elders decided or what the elders feel. And I said, okay. And he said, well, uh, no one agreed with you. And I said, what? He said, no, no, the, the, the discussion of the elders was she's an uh, adult. She's been living on her own. She's responsible for her own actions, and it has no implication. And I didn't hear, all I heard was blah, 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 blah. I said, wait, wait, Jimmy, no one agreed with me. And he said, no, Tom, nobody agreed with you. And in that instant, I thought, does nobody hear God? I mean, you know, am I the only one who hears God on these things? And, and he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, Jimmy, these guys, 30 elders, they're my friends. I've, I've done life with them. Not, just let me... No one, not one person said, you know, Tom might have an idea there. Maybe, he said, no, Tom. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm, I stand down. He said, what do you mean stand down? And I said, Jimmy, I, these guys hear God as much as I hear God. I, I, I thought I understood what God wanted, but if there's no one that agrees, then I come alongside with what they say, and I say, it's fine. And he said, okay, you're sure about that? And I said, I'm sure about that. I submit to the mind and the will of the men who I know and I love and who love me. Because God, I know, works when we submit to the relational, positional authorities that he's put in our life. So I don't know where you might be today, and again, I want to come back to, if you've been abused by authority, I, I want to pray for you, and I want God to really do a work of healing so that you can properly relate to the authorities in your life. Because God cannot and will not use someone who is rebellious and independent. If we're going to do what God wants us to do in our lives and in the church, we're going to come alongside and say, God, I trust in you more than I trust in any person, any institution, any, any being that is in my life. I trust in you, and I surrender to your work. Does that make sense? Would you bow your heads and let me pray with you? What has the Holy Spirit been doing, saying to you as I've spoken? I have no doubt that He's been, the message is his message, and he's been personalizing it to your heart. Is there a response that you need to make to him today? If, if there is, would you just simply say, Lord, I will. Maybe like me, you need to say, yes, Lord, it's, it's your servant here. And say, I will let you correct me through the boss that you've given me, through the coach, that, through I trust in you. Maybe today you've been that independent person and never bowed your knee to Christ. Submission to authority begins with honoring 
his authority first. Lord, we just come to you now. And Lord, we, we declare as sons and daughters of yours, we want to be people who understand authority. We want, Lord, to be trustworthy so that heaven's authority could be deposited in us. And we want to demonstrate our willingness, our ability to handle authority by surrendering, by receiving the authorities that you put in our life. Would you do that today in us so that, Lord, your will and work could be done? In Jesus' name, amen.